We're going to be shortly reading from John 8 um, and verse 12, which is our passage of study. But before we um, get to that, uh, some have been asking questions about the section chapter 5, verse 53, through to chapter 8, verse 11. And if you've got an NIV in front of you, you'll notice there these words, the earliest and most reliable manuscripts and other ancient witnesses do not have 753 to 811. It's the same in the ESV and most other uh, newer translations. Um, it's a bit like the section at the end of uh, Mark, Mark 16, 9 to 20. We can say that this portion, which is well known and well loved, was probably, probably not part of the original text of John's gospel. And there's lots we could say about that, uh, internal and external evidence. Just two pieces of internal evidence, two pieces of external evidence. The first internal piece of evidence is the placement disrupts the flow uh, of the text. As, um, as If you read it, basically, 7.52 and 8.12, just it fits seamlessly through. It fits better. And actually, as far as placement is concerned... 753 to 811 is found in different locations in some of the texts of Scripture uh, from the Middle Ages. It's after 736, 744, 21, verse 25, and it even, it's even found in some of Luke's uh, gospel uh, copies from chapter 21 of Luke and verse 38. So it seems as if scribes who copied the text in those days before there was printing presses they seem to have been looking for a place where they could best put in this little story, and they put it in different places. So there's the issue of, of, of placement. There's also the issue of vocabulary and style. Even these 11 or 12 verses are very, very different to the vocabulary and style of John. So that's two pieces of internal evidence. There's two pieces of external evidence. Uh, You've got to remember that the inspired text of Scripture that we believe in came to us not in English, but the Old Testament came in Hebrew and the New Testament came in Greek. And as, as the NIV and the ESV point out, the earliest and most reliable manuscripts omit this particular story, and some that do actually include it mark it as so that the, the authenticity is questioned. The other bit of external evidence is, of course, that the early church fathers, whom we know and love and revere, don't mention it at all. So the conclusion we come to, those who are involved in understanding the Bible, is that it was not part of the original text of John's gospel. And yet, as one commentator says, without doubt, it is an authentic fragment of apostolic tradition. In other words, it belonged to what we call the oral tradition, passed down through the generations. Of course, we've got to remember... Um, we, we only have a little part of what Jesus said and what Jesus did in his ministry. Three and a half years is squeezed into just four Gospels, and much of that overlaps with each other. So we, we believe that this was an actual historical event. Most probably it happened, but what we're also saying is that it wasn't part of John's original Gospel. However, again, on the other side, it does paint a picture of Jesus that's consistent with the rest of John and the other Gospels. In other words, we see here John, or Jesus presented as wise, as compassionate, as brave, as loving, and as forgiving. Now, some of you might be sitting wondering, 
Can we therefore trust the Bible? And the answer is, of course, yes, yes, because we do go back. We honestly go back to the oldest and earliest and most reliable Greek texts to do our translation work from, from the Greek into English. And I, can I say as your pastor and minister that we can trust the accuracy and the authority of Scripture based on the work that's done throughout the years by, um, by theologians and by scholars as they go and find the earliest texts of Scripture and do their translation work from. Now, we're going to make some, um, we're trying to squeeze into just a few moments what is a big um, subject. We're going to make some information about this available. Um, I'm not sure when, hopefully this week, uh, on the social media or uh, the website, or uh, particularly for our growth groups. Um, so that'll be available before the next growth groups meet. So but listen, if anybody wants to chat to me about this, I'm glad to talk about it. Um, a lot of research and work's been done on this, but we will leave it at there. And we're going to pick our reading, therefore, up at uh, John 8 and verse 12. We're going to go through to verse 13. This is God's Word. When Jesus spoke again to the people, He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged Him, here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going but you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am one who testifies for myself my other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, Where is your Father? You do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. No one seized him because his time had not yet come. Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me, and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you uh, do not believe that I am the one I claim to be. You will indeed die in your sins. Who are you, they asked. Just what I have been claiming all along, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is reliable, and what I have heard from him I tell the world." They did not understand that he was telling them about his Father. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. 
The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke. As we continue to look at the real Jesus today, we're uh, going to look at the, the real Jesus being the light of the world. Let's um, pray and ask for his help. Lord, once again, we come before your word. We thank you for it. And we ask that we might see the real, true, beautiful, living Jesus, the light of the world. And may he light up our hearts, light up our church, and light up our world for your great glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the real Jesus, the one who is the light of the world, the one who we are truly interested in and the one we can trust in. Not a man-made Jesus, not a, a Jesus made in our own image, not a reconstructed Jesus who is a, a little bit better than we are. We're talking about the real Jesus. And the world hates the real Jesus. And the church often, religion, often rejects the real Jesus. But we, we must love and accept Him as He is, as He really is. And today, we have this beautiful picture of the real Jesus. The first century Jews should have been able to work it all out, but they didn't, by and large. And we should be able to work it all out. I wonder, will we? Here it is, that great verse. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I don't know how you feel when you're in the dark. The absence of physical light can be scary for many people. But I'll tell you, worse than physical darkness is Spiritual darkness, the absence of spiritual light in a life can do strange things, can bring about great danger, and can cause serious results. Many, many people have had their hearts and their minds and even their faith affected negatively by the absence of spiritual light. And they have possibly lived in spiritual darkness for such a long, long time that spiritual darkness has become normal to them. It's become attractive to them. And spiritual light, on the other hand, has become abnormal and unattractive. And therefore, there may be some even here today, and that's true of you, you have allowed your mind to be controlled by and influenced by darkness spiritually, that actually spiritual light is just weird, bizarre, something you don't want. It's certainly true of the people we're trying to seek for Christ. Do you know where people we're witnessing to? They are most likely filled with spiritual darkness. And they need light. That's why we constantly need the person, the work of the Holy Spirit, to open up their eyes and let them see. 
Now, what we just said, of course, that might be true of some here, but certainly true of all the people that we're trying to witness to, it's certainly true of the religious leaders of Jesus' day. The growing hatred of them towards Jesus is, is becoming so clear. Their, their love for spiritual darkness, their hatred of uh, spiritual light meant that they hated Jesus, who is the light of the world. Their aim was to trap Jesus, arrest Jesus, and kill Jesus. But of course, the, the, the answer to their core problem of spiritual darkness is the one they're trying to trap and arrest and kill. The real Jesus is the light of the world. And what does that mean for us? Well, it means that He's the one who guides and protects. And again, we're just going to camp for a little moment or two in verse 12. And we need to understand why Jesus said these words at this particular point. The context, of course, is the Feast of the Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. Do you remember there were three feasts? We've often mentioned that. Feast number one was the Passover, which celebrated the beginning of the Exodus. Feast number two was the Feast of Pentecost, which was a celebration of um, the law of God being given to the people of God. And the third feast was this one that we're now involved in, the Feast of Booze or Tabernacles, celebrating God's goodness to His people over the 40 years that they were in the wilderness. And this third feast was the one filled with most joy because it was a time of thankfulness for all God's provision, and especially for three things. Now, can you guess what the three things might have been as they celebrated God's provision during the wilderness period? Number one, something to eat. Anybody tell me? Manna, something to drink, water, and something to guide them and protect them, cloud and light, the two pillars of cloud and light. And Jesus is basically saying to us here in these chapters of John's gospel, each of these three gifts point to me. The manna. Are you thankful for the manna? I am the bread of life. Chapter 6. Water. Are you thankful for the water during the wilderness? I am the water to the thirsty. John 7. Are you thankful for the pillar of cloud and the pillar of light? I am the light of the world. Chapter 8, verse 12. And by the way, as he said these things, as verse 20 tells us, he was near the place of the offerings. There we know that there were four columns. And on each column, there were four bowls filled with oil, each holding about 65 liters of oil. And they were lit in the evening hour. And so the whole of the temple was filled with light. In fact, the whole of the city of Jerusalem was filled with light from these 16 bowls of oil burning. And so if you can have that picture in your mind and then hear what Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am the very presence of God. And whoever follows me will be guided. And whoever lives in me will be protected. It's all wrapped up in this divine statement, I am the light of the world. 
Now, for us, of course, we've got to remember that the, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of light go hand in hand as far as the Jews were concerned, and they go hand in hand as far as Jesus is concerned. Now, if you know the story, you'll know it well. Exodus 13, the two pillars of cloud and, and uh, light and fire protected the Israelites from the Egyptian army. But the pillar of cloud during the day protected them from the raging sun. Can you picture that? And actually, at night, it would have protected them from the cold that often comes from a clear sky. In chapter 14 of Exodus, the pillar of cloud moved from in front of the people to behind the people, and this caused confusion in the Egyptian army that were trying to destroy them and bring them back to be slaves in Egypt, and eventually, of course, they perished in the Red Sea. Again, we see protection and guidance. And in Numbers 9, we read that when the pillars of, of cloud and light stopped, what did the people do? They stopped. And when the pillar of cloud and light moved, what did the people do? They moved. So, the, 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 the Jewish people knew all about these symbols and what they meant, guidance and protection from the pillars of cloud and light as they journeyed through the wilderness. That's what they were doing in that feast in Jerusalem. And Jesus says, the very light that you are celebrating, I am. That's the real Jesus, you see. And because He's light, He enables us to um, see things as they really are. Just as He brought physical light into the universe by saying, let there be light, so He brings light into the moral darkness of our culture because He's the light of the world. There's moral confusion all around us, isn't there? chaos. That's incredible. We live in a crazy, mixed-up world. And each of us, every single one of us, we're attacked by this craziness. There are a thousand or more explanations hurled at us from the world, the flesh, and the devil from social media, from entertainment, from the influencers in the world. And every single one of us trying to trap us and keep us in darkness. And Jesus, the real Jesus, He's the light of the world. He guides and protects. And He's, he's the one who knows all about life, and He knows all about light. He alone can understand life. He can, alone can explain it correctly, and He alone can fix the problem that we have in our world. So listen to the light of the world. He alone can help us. He, he helps us spot the error, and He helps us to accept the truth. Guidance and protection. Guidance and protection. I am the guider. I am the protector. Now, I, I don't know all of you, but I know most of you, but I don't know all of you. Maybe, maybe you're sitting here thinking, saying, ah, that's too late for me. So look at me. Look at my life. Look what I've done. I've made my choices, and I've got all my scars, and I've almost lost all hope. What has this light got to say to me? 
The real Jesus can turn your dark past and your dark present, He can turn it into beautiful light. He can. He can. He will. Because we've got to remember that while light and darkness are opposites, they're not equal. They are not equal because darkness disappears when light is introduced. You cannot cover over light with darkness. Light will always lighten up the darkness when it's introduced. My prayer is that we will be bathed in light all the time. The light of truth, the light of the Word of God, the light of Jesus And the reason why we need to pray that God would give us this light is that by nature, we're not unlike the culture around us. We love darkness more than light. John's already said that in chapter 1. And so we need the Holy Spirit to enable us and to empower us to love light and then to receive light and to live in the light. So you see what's happening here in this Feast of the Booths or the Feast of the Tabernacles? The real Jesus fulfills the image of manna. I am the bread of life. The real Jesus fulfills the image of water. See the water of life? I am. And the real Jesus fulfills the image of the cloud and the light. I am the light of the world. Now, the Jews should have been able to see this. They should have been able to believe this and receive this. But most, as we will know, and we will increasingly see, most of them didn't. Now, I hope we see that we should see what this means. We should believe it. We should receive it. The question is, will we? Will we? Or has the darkness of the world so controlled the way we think and the way we listen that actually we just prefer to stay in darkness? So the real Jesus guides and protects. The real Jesus is divine revelation. Um, Now, most of the sermon was on that one verse, but we're going to go through the rest of the the passage now very, very quickly. And what are we going to do with this divine revelation? We've got to receive His truth, verses 13 to 18. Now, the Pharisees continually reveal their hard hearts. When Jesus is loved and trusted, of course, light is experienced. But when Jesus is hated and rejected, darkness is experienced. And we've got two big problems, haven't we? These two big problems cause great trouble, ignorance and pride, ignorance and pride. And many, when these two things come together, ignorance and pride, many are held in darkness because of that. And here we see ignorance in a sense, ignorance. Because when we are ignorant of the real Jesus, what happens is that we create this distorted view of Jesus, a kind of caricature of who He is and what He is. And the only way we're going to have protection, guidance from the light of the world is to receive His Word as divine, a divine revelation and authentic revelation. So Jesus is the divine revelation. We're to receive His truth. That's what Jesus is getting at here. 
Receive him. Receive me, says Jesus. Verse 13. Here you are appearing as your own witness, they say. That's the Pharisees. Your testimony is not valid. Because as the Old Testament teaches us, you, you need to have two witnesses if you're going to have a valid revelation. And verses 14 and 15, Jesus says, well, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. In other words, Jesus is saying, you're judging me, the light of the world, by human standards. But they got it so wrong because, you see, divine truth, divine revelation cannot be proven in a science lab, and it cannot come at the end of a mass equation. But Jesus says in verses 16 to 18, absolute truth comes from divine revelation. And here's what we say. Now, it's a wee bit wordy, but read that, hear it, believe it. We must receive divine revelation on the authority of the authority himself. In other words, we receive what he has to say because he says it. Because if anybody else had to come in and verify what he was saying, then that person would be greater than Jesus, and there's no one greater than Jesus. We must receive divine revelation on the authority of the authority himself. And that's why in verse 18, we haven't obviously time to look at every single verse, every little uh, phrase, but verse 18, notice, Jesus says, do you want two witnesses? Well, I'll give you two witnesses. Verse 18, I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. He says, I'm not going to bow to your logic. You know, I'm not going to live according to your philosophy. Here it is. I am the light of the world. I have divine revelation to give to you. Receive it. Of course, we live under many different philosophies. Uh, I'm not going to try and put you to sleep because it is very warm in here today and there's a temptation already. I see a few people nodding off. Nip yourself. Come to life. But you know, we are increasingly under the influence of postmodernism where there's no absolute truth. This is what, this is, listen, this is the illogic, irrational nonsense that the world is throwing at you every single day. There's no absolute truth there's just different perspectives. All views are equally of equal value, and it's arrogant for anybody, especially Christians, to say that our way is the right way. Everything is equally true, and of course, if you have a, a brain in your head, you'll know that's absolutely irrational, and yet it's believed by millions, maybe even billions of people on our earth today. Verse 16, but if I do judge, my decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. Brothers and sisters, we must submit to Jesus and receive his truth. Listen to Jesus. Listen even to the preaching of the gospel. Because you know what we're doing right now, by the way? I'm not trying to present an argument to you. I'm not having a discussion with you, and I'm not, I'm not giving a lecture. I'm not giving you a list, a list of options or suggestions. You know what I'm doing? I'm declaring truth to you. 
That's what preaching is, the declaration of truth, and we've got to accept Him and His truth. That's what Jesus says to you today and to me, and that's what He deserves. Because this alone, this receiving divine revelation on the authority of the authority Himself is the only answer to our ignorance, the only answer in a world full of darkness and ignorance. Please, Jesus, open us up to your truth. That should be our prayer. Open us up to your truth in a world full of ignorance and lies. The second issue of of, uh, pride we can see in the next section, because we must know him personally, that's verse 19 and 20, because they ask a a snide question in verse 19, where is your father? Because he's just mentioned the father in verse 18. And you'll know, of course, that um, there's all kinds of um, kind of insults, you know, snide insults uh, thrown in Jesus' way. You know, uh, we know who your mother is, but who's your father? You know that kind of stuff? You were born out of wedlock, Jesus. And Jesus just tells them the truth. He doesn't get sidelined by getting into an argument with them. He says in verse 20, you do not know me or my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Listen, folks, again, you cannot have protection, you cannot have guidance without knowing Him. You can't have the presence of God without knowing Him. I say to you, know Him in salvation. Their problem again was, let's see see it down there. You don't know me, verse 20. You don't know my Father. That's their problem. That's why they're in darkness. I wonder if that's your problem this morning. You know about religion. You know about Presbyterianism. You know about RPC. But do you know Him in salvation? Do you know Jesus? Do you know the Father? It, it, it could be your problem today. Maybe that's why there's so much confusion in your head and there's so much darkness in your thinking. Do you know Him? I'll tell you what, it's certainly the problem of the, of, um, the unsaved in your life, those you're praying for and those you're witnessing to They don't know Jesus. They don't know the Father. The real Jesus is divine revelation. We've got to receive his truth and we've got to know him personally. But what are the consequences of not believing and receiving? And this is the last section which we'll spend less time on. Yeah, he's the source of guidance and protection. We've already noted that. Secondly, he's the revealer of truth. We've already noted that. We need to receive his truth. We need to know him personally. But, but, what are the consequences of not believing him? Well, let's, again, I like to see this up, and sometimes I I like to see something. Maybe you don't, so forgive me if, if, if it doesn't help you, but I like to see it as well as hear it. Ignorance. I don't know his truth. Pride. I don't want his truth. That's... That's the problem. And Jesus says, when you live like that, then you will die in your sins. You'll die in your sin. If we go through life, even with a touch of religion here and there, and try to be moral and good, I don't know his truth. I don't want his truth. Jesus says, well, okay. 
you'll die in your sin. Now, Jesus shows us these serious consequences. He pleads with them gently, patiently, graciously. He's not angry. Do you notice that? He's not arguing with them. He's not bitter. He's not condemning. He he says, listen, I'm going away. And you will look for me then. And you will die in your sin. He pleads with them. Believe and receive. He's honest. He's, He's straight with them. He attacks their foolishness that they think they're good enough without him and that they know enough without him. And so what do we have here in these verses? Very quickly, verse 22, more arrogant mockery. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? The sick suggestion that Jesus is about to commit some kind of suicide And in verse 23, again, he ignores the snide comments. What does he say? You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Again, he he says in verse 24, um, I've come to fix the problem of your ignorance and your pride, but if you will not believe and receive, you will die in your sins. Verse 24, I told you that you will die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. So believe the facts, Jesus is telling us, and then live the changed life. And again, in verses 25 and 26, they come back with another silly, time-wasting question. By the way, isn't that what life's like? In my experience, so many people ask time-wasting questions instead of the real questions. What do they say? Well, who are you? Who are you? And again, Jesus patiently tells them and warns them, verse 26, just what I have been claiming all along, Jesus replied, I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is reliable, and what I have heard from him I tell the world. He warns them. Judgment is coming. Now it is redemption available, but one day judgment will come. And then we have a little kind of um, a little aside, a little summary by John, just in case we've missed it. In verse 27, they did not understand that he was telling them about his father. And then so Jesus in verse 28 says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. Lifted up, I will be lifted up. as three times in, in John's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 14, chapter 12, verse 32. There's a double meaning. Lifted up onto the cross, of course, yes. Lifted up and resurrection. And he says, once I'm lifted up in my death and resurrection, then you will know who I am. But if you will not believe and will not receive, then you will uh, die in your sin. Do you know what? Our sins are killing us. And our friends' sins are killing them. That's why we need 
to tell them about the real Jesus. And we need to warn them of the consequences of not believing and receiving the real Jesus. Jesus is on the rescue mission, a redemptive mission, but hard-hearted and stiff-necked people will reject Jesus and mock Him because they're blind and they're proud. Verse 30, as we come near the end, even as He spoke, many put their faith in Him. See, the Holy Spirit is always at work. You know what? He's at work even here today, opening up hearts and minds. And here, He he brought conviction among some and brought them uh, to saving faith in Jesus. So, here's the question, two, two questions, in fact. What is the spiritual ointment to open up spiritual blind eyes? You are for spiritually blind. What is the ointment that will open up our eyes? And secondly, what is the spiritual key to unlock the prison of pride or the prison of ignorance? So the ointment and the key. What is it? The cross. When you have lifted up the Son of Man then you will know that I am the one I claim to be and that I do, not, do nothing on my own but speak only what the Father has taught me. That's why we keep on sharing the good news of Jesus. Some will reject it as being utterly bizarre, silly nonsense, and the reason they say that is because they're dark in their minds. And until the Holy Spirit opens up their minds, then they will continue to be dark. But some, you see, will believe. And the very fact that many of you here are believers is because, guess what? The Holy Spirit opened up your minds to see. And our prayer is that He'll do the same for our friends and family. But one thing, you, you either mock Him, as this is bizarre nonsense, or you believe. But there's no neutrality. There's no neutrality. So ask again, who here needs to hear the gospel of the real Jesus? And maybe you've heard it so many times that <laughs> you could nearly tell me what it is, but you know it's not yours. And time for you is running out, isn't it? Obviously. Because every time you put it off until the next time, then it's near the time when you'll never be able to respond. So who here needs to hear the gospel of the real Jesus? Who among our circle of influence needs to hear the gospel of the real Jesus? I mean, I mean, are you sharing? Are you sharing the message of the real Jesus with, with those you know and love? Because if you really know them and love them, surely, surely you would tell them the good news. You are telling them, aren't you? It could be um, a co-worker or a neighbor, or it could be somebody closer. It could be your spouse. It could be your child. It could be your parent. You see, if we can see with eyes of faith, if the light of the world has enabled us to see, then others must see as well. The real Jesus, the forgiver of sins, the, the Lord of glory, the cleanser of shame, the liberator of people. The reason why we're going through John's gospel is because we need to see the real Jesus. We've got to see the power of His Word 
the beauty of his love, the sweet relief of saving grace. We've got to believe, we've got to receive, and we've got to share it with others. And we've got to share it with others now. Now. May God grant us the ability to do that. Lord, it, it is um, with horror that we view how these people attacked you verbally and wouldn't believe you, couldn't see you, even though you made it perfectly clear. And yet, when we look at ourselves and we look at others, we see at times the same kind of darkness. Light of the world, would you shine your light on us and enable us to see the power of your word, the beauty of your love, the sweet relief of your saving grace. May we experience it and may we share it. Give us the power, the ability to do all of this for your great glory we ask it. Amen.